Hello, Kristen here. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you that the antidote is a thing that's happening. It's a series of monthly gatherings that will help you return to your body and your being over and over again in the face of, you know, 2024, election insanity, climate change, global wars, your own personal stuff, other stuff. It's crazy out there. And it's easy to abandon yourself and freak out. The antidote is for bringing you home to yourself so that you can be safe in your being even when the world outside of you feels objectively unsafe. And because everybody's marketing at you and there's no reason for you to believe me, you can head to jointheantidote.com to grab a free recording of the first session that happened this week so you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. Hello and welcome to this episode of That's What She Said. I have a fucking delightful interview for you today. We haven't done it yet, but I know where it's going. Spoiler alert. Uh, It's Laura Hallway. She is a teacher, a writer, a coach, and a kindred spirit. We met earlier this year and in some sort of unprecedented act of extroversion, I just immediately asked her to be on the podcast when I talked with her. And I caught her talking about uh, clickbait entrepreneurship. I caught her calling out some of the bullshit marketing practices that have hurt my soul over the last 11 years of owning a business. So I invited here to help um, you call out all sorts of bullshit, to help you remove yourself from those forms of bullshit and um, to find the gifts that come after and from uh, with and within the pain of our lives. So like this very simple, no big deal, interview that's just super <laughs> low-key <laughs> um that's where we are hi laura oh hi Kristen. thank you so much for having me here of course of course it's good to have you and i the um when i was preparing for the interview i was like you use a five-step process to work with clients and um i thought a these are brilliant which is really good but b these are so clearly born of working the wrong way in order to find the right way that I wanted to talk about them because people who make systems out of nothing and they're not in that like cishet white passive income, just put a seven step framework on literally anything and sell it for two grand. Um, if there's real, there's depth here, then it's, it'll be tremendously helpful to sort of walk people through uh, how to listen to themselves as they develop their work in the world, regardless of whether they end up working with you or not, which I hope they do, obviously. Um, So will you tell me about the first step, which is uh, listen, sort of give me an overview, and then I'm going to ask some questions about this five-step process. Step one being listen. Wonderful. Well, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to notice and acknowledge the five steps, which definitely are born out of my own personal suffering. (laughs) (laughs) And I always tell my clients as if I can just alleviate a little bit of that, and you don't have to learn through the trial and error that I have had to learn through. Mm -hmm. So this, this process is, I envision it as a, it is a iterative cycle and a never ending 
cycle that is not necessarily linear in this order. Um, but the first step that feels the most right to start with is listen. Your body is a channel. So carve out space to listen and tend to yourself and your work. And in that is also acknowledge the discomfort that sometimes arises in listening, the emotional discomfort of making space, of, of not knowing what is going to ask for our attention. So for, my, for myself in listening, this has really been born of being a very logical, strategic, overthinking person who very much wants to know what tomorrow is going to look like, what five years from now is going to look like. <laughs> mm -hmm. And being a choreographer, getting my, my first significant commission and getting very stuck in the process only to recognize that I wasn't connecting to my body's wisdom. I wasn't making space. I was forcing and overthinking. Yeah. And when did you, um, I find that most people who were raised as women can tell, like, can give an instant or a date of like, when did you kind of decide that like the mind would be in charge and the body would be secondary? Was that conscious? And when did that happen? Oh boy. <laughs> Such a good question. I think, you know, my, my own both where I fit into the framework of my family, my ancestral lineage, my lived experience and, and trauma patterns have all made me feel safer thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the case for so many of us. How, how could it be safe to leave space and do nothing? in a way, I mean, it, so much is happening and that's in this class that I'm teaching right now, which is focused on the first two steps of the process. It is really tricky to impart the importance of, of doing something that feels like nothing or the value of that. Yeah, and the, that listening feels like nothing or that being in the body feels like nothing listening and leaving space in your schedule, which I think is really necessary for listening. Uh, yeah, no one likes having space in the schedule for listening. That sounds terrible. Do you mean, <laughs> they're like, I can hear my clients. Like, do you mean like with a therapist? Yes, I have time for that. Yes. Do you mean, but just like there's a, there's a listening space that feels like a void in some way. Absolutely. Cause like I could be checking email or something. <laughs> you invite anything in if there is no space if for me thinking about creativity and and business as an act of creativity i think of that as a sacred act mm -hmm. you know it is something coming being born through you or at least in my experience and my beliefs mm -hmm. And if there is no space for it to emerge, you know, how, how can it? Yeah. It's like expecting a baby to be born without going through the birth canal. They're just going to like, boop, 
they're somehow going to appear on the other side just magically. There's not going to be any, maybe that's not the right metaphor, but the, the, the concept of space to emerge feels important relative to like, well, it'll just appear. Like it won't though. <laughs> oh, right. And what I started to notice uh, because I am a person who really thrives in making meaning and connections is I would think about all those moments that I had had creative epiphanies and how they were never the moments that I was sitting at my computer strategizing or typing, forcing. They were in the shower or they were when I was moving my body, when I was actually in the studio in the moment, in the spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that first step of listening is it, is the hard part the actual listening or is there something that's harder about just making the space to listen? Like, which is, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure that they're, they're both hard. <laughs> Where do you find that you fall down? Where do you find that your clients fall down in that arena? Right, so I think, first of all, integrating any practice in a consistent way, like starting to build a new muscle, which is making little pockets of space in your schedule to just be with yourself with no expectation of what's going to emerge is challenging. Mm -hmm. Then the second challenge I find is how do we decipher what we hear? Because for many of us, we haven't learned to trust ourselves in a way that we can decipher what is my intuition and my inner knowing? What is the voice of my parents? What is my concern that I'm not doing exactly what my colleague is doing? And so, you know, the, the practices that I use in this listening phase, it's a reflection practice, moving and reflecting and not taking very much time for either but using the reflection practice of just neutral noticing and starting to observe yourself and what's emerging with curiosity rather than identifying with any of it too much, mm -hmm. but just capturing it and noticing like, oh, this, this concern is coming up or this idea keeps asking for my attention so that you can start to see your patterns over time. So I think the difficulty is in it's just like a meditation practice. The difficulty is one, making space, but two, being okay with being with yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that can be a lot. It can, and it can get so noisy in there. And the mind really is not into letting the body have a say. I have, at least in my experience, mind is always trying to draw. What are you doing in there? You need to be up here with me worrying about shit. <laughs> you can't just be dancing around in circles and having fun. What are we doing here? <laughs> right. And so even to start to notice that it's, you know, I, I loved recently hearing a neuroscientist say that curiosity, whenever we're curious, we get a hit of dopamine. And I really think that there is the freedom to start to shift our patterns when we just get curious, like, oh, I notice my mind is really noisy, but I still am going to make some space 
And again, a lot of times I make space and I am sitting with myself and all that I notice is that it, it feels good to be without doing all the time. It's not like I'm getting a magical epiphany every, every time. You're not just like downloading novels from space, you know? <laughs> no, not, not that I know of. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Um, if you, so you can answer one or both of these. Um, I find in coaching that there's always this very consistent advice that goes with a thing when it's part of a larger system. Like there's a reason that listen is first. What do you find is the consistent advice that you give at this phase of coaching? Like, okay, this is, you're going to find this difficult. Here's how it's going to be difficult. And here's how you're going to move through. Is there a very consistent resistance here that we can just save people that are listening the effort of like, here's where you're going to trip up? Yeah, I think just in valuing that your time is, is well spent not actively doing something, you know, capitalism has messed with us so much. And what I've loved is hearing, you know, so, sometimes I'll get those clients who are just those people who love doing their homework. Mm -hmm. And I love hearing from them just about, whoa, I can't believe I'm getting so much clarity around my vision just by regularly doing this. So yes, you, we are all going to hit resistance in believing that making space and being with ourselves is a, a worthy pursuit. Um, but there's something about, you know, our level of discomfort often dictates the changes that we make. And if you, if you're really, uh, feeling out of touch with yourself, I highly recommend just starting with 10 minutes, 10 minutes of walking, start with walking, mm -hmm. walking is something we all can do, but walk without podcasts, walk without music for 10 minutes and see what happens. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the exact study, so forgive me, but it was something it's written on an index card somewhere in my desk uh, that it was something like some vast majority of people would rather have an electric shock than sit with themselves for 15 minutes. I was like, yeah. so that's where we are with listening. Okay. No one wants to do it. The majority of people would rather have an electric shock than just sit and listen and do nothing. <laughs> so, totally. mm -hmm. so your process has already been revealed as difficult. <laughs> This sounds terrible. All right, step yeah, two. <laughs> it's only going to get worse before it gets it's, better. I am very certain of that. So step two, <laughs> after listening, which you don't want to do, and we both know it, that's fine. Um, step two, tell me about that. Yeah, defining your center. So this is actually, can be sort of pictured as a, a four-step Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. So Defining your center is about creating a set of parameters around what matters most to you because creativity thrives with parameters and limitations, as we know. Mm -hmm. And this center is a reflection of your strengths, past experiences, values, needs, desires, and 
the purpose of your work. So it's all about uncovering those pieces. And the tricky thing is that our center shifts as our experiences shift, as our life circumstances, a pandemic happens, for instance, our hypothetical. Yeah, things, things change and therefore what matters most to us changes. And that I think is why, and I'm curious if you've experienced this, Kristen, but I hear from so many entrepreneurs, you, you, you develop your brand and you get your visual identity and your copy and your website. And then you're like, this doesn't really feel like me anymore. Yeah, well, because it's not allowed to move. Right. And the more you pay for it, the less you allow it to move. Like I've consistently found that when clients are going to invest in branding, I'm like, spend as little as possible so that when you want to change it, you aren't like, well, this costs 17 grand. So I have to keep it until I die. Right. Because it's not going to feel good for you until you die. Cause it's, it's going to move. Cause you move. Absolutely. And that's why my colleague, Annie and I work together. She's a, a website designer who is really fantastic at creating branding that flexes with growth and empowers the client to use it themselves via Canva. And I think we both have experienced that the work we do now is so different than the work we did two years ago because it's always deepening and changing as we do. Mm -hmm. And a, a brand should not be static. I mean, I don't even really love the term brand to begin with, mm -hmm. um, but people are not static. And I continue, my interests continue to change. My needs have changed a lot over the years. So uncovering these pieces, the idea is to create something that you can tether to, to create something that grounds you, like the way that a brand kind of hugs you in and gives you some, some parameters, mm -hmm. but to recognize that six months from now or a year from now, you may desire some shifts and you may discover new layers to your work. And that's part of how we stay excited about what we're doing. Yeah, but I feel like that's, um, there's this sort of sense that if I just get, this is the place where my clients get stuck. Let me know if yours do. Like if I just get it right, I just sort of like lock it in final answer, like we're on a game show. And then I just want to let it be forever because I want to make this decision once and have it be done because that's the nature of how a lot of the business sort of education is sold that like you make this brand and you promote it and it's a brand and then you make fucking millions of dollars and that's that instead of like no one says this is going to shift this is going to change you're going to this is not parts of this are not going to be interesting to you in a year parts of this are going to be way more interesting to you in six months you will be embarrassed that you did that thing five years ago and and that that's just part of it instead of like we need to make this perfect brand and lock it in and then follow through until the end of time never ever changing because that's somehow part of the rules have you noticed that? Is that, can you say something about that? I don't know what to say. About oh that. my gosh. Yes. 
<laughs> oh, good. I was awful like, am I Where's my gospel choir? I mean, it's funny because I did not come at this work from the entrepreneurial world, but I am very much aware of the entrepreneurial world. Um, you know, I have parents that were self-employed and did, you know, multi-level marketing stuff. And then a sister who probably went through B school, I'm pretty sure. And so I'm aware, even though I've never had formal training from these people. And I think when I got the idea or the pull to start a business, there was, I can remember so clearly that pressure to find the thing that sets you apart, get clear, get, mm -hmm. find your message, figure out what your thing is. And I have learned that the only way to quote unquote, get clear is by experimenting and letting things shift and not being overly precious about it or overly attached. Mm -hmm. And of course we want to be attached because it is an agonizing process mm -hmm. in a way, get it, like figuring out what the hell am I doing? Why is it important? Does anyone want it? What I find interesting about this step is traditionally in the entrepreneurial world, we are taught to define our center based on our audience, right? Like, yeah. oh my God, yeah. Who are we marketing to? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what I discovered through my own suffering is if I didn't start with myself, I was really unhappy with what I created because, you know, in the case of before this, having an arts organization, I thought of everyone else's needs first. Mm -hmm. because I wanted them to want the work but I never stopped to think about like oh Laura you are going to be living with this is it meeting your needs do you like it <laughs> right do you want to talk about this every day for the next year yes yeah yeah because that's important and that's I find a lot of my clients are at that place where like but this will make money but this makes me happy in my soul. And I will always push for B and no one likes that. Um, but it's the most rewarding thing. Can we make, can we make the thing that wants to be born in your soul make money is a far more interesting question that, to me than can we just make money? Yes, because honestly, at that rate, I would rather have a traditional day job. The security and the, the lack of emotional connection of, of a day job versus mm -hmm. doing something that feels so tethered to my gut and my heart, but is also deeply out of alignment. Well said, well said. So we've listened, we've defined our center, we've created parameters, even though we hate parameters because <laughs> everybody fights the parameters, it's fine. And then step three, talk to me. Yeah, so we need connection. We need our people. And in traditional entrepreneurship, this is marketing. And mm -hmm. I'm more interested in thinking about it as connection and conversation. And it's a, it's a vital nutrient if we want to make money through our work mm -hmm. or exchange, exchange our work in any way. And 
the thing that I have realized is that there's no prescription to what marketing has to look like. You know, there's no, or there's no formula. There's no, um, you don't have to be a person who shares every second of your life on Instagram if you don't want to be. But it doesn't feel that way, does it? <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> and I think a lot of this, this world of entrepreneurship, I feel like is a case of the emperor's new clothes where no one wants to talk about the naked emperor and the naked emperor is, you know, privilege. It is abusive marketing. It is workaholism. Mm -hmm. um, it's extensive. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it goes far deeper than any of that. Um, but for some people, it feels very good to have some lines around where your business ends and you begin as a person. Our, our personhood is sacred. And I think, you know, I remember the personal branding phenomenon. And all of a sudden it's about, you know, I can get clients by sharing what I eat for lunch. And I, re I really want some things for myself. So what I try to, to remind people is that you need people, but you don't need to get them in the same way that other people do. And they can be born of real, authentic, non-manipulative connections. Imagine real, authentic, non-manipulative connections. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, it's interesting. I have a very small mailing list in the, in the scheme of mailing lists that has been born of five years of pretty consistent every other week, every other week newsletters. Mm -hmm. And even though it's a small list, they're so responsive and so in tune. And I do feel authentically connected to these people. And so I would never bullshit them. Like it, I would be so horrified to do that because they would know it in an instant, first of all. Mm -hmm. And secondly, you know, I can't even imagine that I would ever gain enough that it would just feel worth it because what I value, what I've come to realize that is very similar to my art practice. At the center of what I value most about my business is authentic connection and giving people the permission to be real live humans, messy humans. Mm -hmm. And so yes, and one on, on one hand, my my newsletter is a marketing tool, but on the other hand, it's something I did before I even had a business. And it's a, it's a, it's a creative practice, really. It's a conversation. I love that. And then the burning question that I can feel from people is like, okay, well, how do we do this without being vulnerable? This, well, this, you <laughs> like this connect thing. I like it in theory, but it sounds pretty vulnerable. You get to decide what those lines are. Everyone does, you know, for instance, 
I've alluded about certain life events or or skirted around them in my newsletters and there's plenty that I don't share that I want to just be between myself and my friends. Mm -hmm. So you get to decide there's there's a very the human brain does not like the gray area ever, right? Never. And that's that's where the magic is. There's a, there's a a very broad area between sharing everything and sharing nothing. And I think a lot about, you know, when I have an experience that's very personal, I never write a newsletter about it the next day. It's something where I need some space and some perspective and some shaping in order to feel like it's something I would want to share. Yeah, that's a thing that I've noticed that in the sharing in real time for me is far less valuable because the stuff that's really good will be the stuff that's like, hey, I'm processing six to eight to 12 months ago, or I just realized something about this thing that happened years ago that I can now craft into like, this is a glorious lesson that will make you laugh and here you go. Versus like, I, I had some tacos, everybody had some tacos. <laughs> Um, but there, because social media comes with such pressure to share in real time or to just schedule your life out in advance, but the, the real time pressure doesn't necessarily allow us to connect at the deepest levels because at the deepest levels, we're probably going to have to reflect a bit first. Yes, definitely. So the question there, um, you can go either way. So which ways of connecting don't feel good to you, no matter how hard you try, or which forms of connection repeatedly feed you? It sounds like your newsletter is one of them. Um, either, whichever one of those you would like to pursue, please go for it. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of an ongoing experiment. I have had periods of time where posting very consistently on Instagram, very much like, oh, this is a part of my job, just like answering emails, has felt good and um, emotionally fulfilling and, and healthy and all of those things. And I did an experiment in, I think it was February, where I just played with all the ways one could use Instagram. And I made reels and I made videos and uh, just with this idea of kind of asking myself, do I hide? Um, will developing that muscle change how I feel about Instagram? I think what's really tricky is that the, there is a specific energy that marketing takes up, I find. Like something I keep noticing in my body and myself is, these different energies that different tasks require. Mm -hmm. I could do administration till the cows come home in a certain way because it's very just, it's finite and it's to the point. It doesn't require any emotional energy. My creative muscle, the, the creative energy I have, that is, it's a limited resource. And 
my marketing as I do it does heavily tap into that. So when I write a newsletter, I do it with a lot of care and crafting and, and even though it's something that um, doing it regularly makes it not a huge ordeal, it still is not something that I could, could force if I wasn't feeling it. And I would never send a newsletter just for the sake of sending a newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I have started to notice is that Instagram was just taking, number one, a lot of that creative energy. And then number two, I've been bumping up against this discomfort of given everything that's happened in the past year, I just give very few shits about talking about business. Um, I love my client time and my class time, but like actually talking about business, I could think of many things I would rather that I think are more worthwhile to talk about in this world. So I'm just taking a break right now. Me too. I don't want to go back. I just keep, I keep, I ask everyone, like, how do you go back? How do you make yourself do it? How do you give a fuck about, um, any of the, yeah, of the Instagram? Um, awesome. Okay. So it sounds like we're almost into number four, which is experiment intentionally, which you've just described doing lovingly very well. Um, tell me about experiment intentionally. Yeah, the only way to find what works and what feels good for you is to experiment and reflect, like gather the, actually gather the data and adjust accordingly, which is a really key part of experimentation in my book. Mm-hmm. So there are people who think experimenting is just willy nilly trying things. I don't find that experimentation to be very valuable what is valuable is framing it up just like a scientist would. And sometimes I do it less formally than other times, of course, but actually taking the time to zoom out, to gather the data, to make a change according to what I am learning. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of experimentation, well, number one, experimenting is what's going to bring you clarity around your center. Because again, to go back to, this is not a linear process. Mm-hmm. You, you go back, you maybe six months later, you need to change some copy. You want a different offering. It makes sense. Um, so, but the other piece of that experimentation is that you can start to create some space between yourself and the work. So I am pretty sure that a scientist does not emotionally over identify with their experiments. I'm pretty sure (laughs) (laughs) have that attachment. I'm pretty sure that they don't get an outcome and think like, oh my God, this is failure. It's all data. So experimentation is a way to just get curious about what's happening and to depersonalize the work. I love that. Um, so was this one of those hard won lessons or is this one that comes naturally to you in terms of experimenting and finding data, implementing data, making changes, experimenting again? You know, what's interesting is it's been a hard thing to do in my business 
And I had to refer back to what I've learned as a choreographer. Because in the studio, experimentation is just a part of the work. You know, of course you're going to try something. Of course you're going to fail. And I'm not saying I've ever liked unexpected outcomes, which is really what a failure is. Um, no one likes surprises and no one likes to make something that they don't feel reflects their best work or best self. Mm -hmm. But I was able to still do these really wacky experiments as an artist. And then because I've always had a case of not fitting, I would say, um, being a little bit of an oddball, when it came to having a business, I felt a certain amount of like, well, just tell me how business works. Right. Tell me how this works because I want to make sure that I fit in and I belong and that I'm not doing anything that's really outside of the bounds. And I really want to credit Jennifer Armbrust, who runs Sister and Feminist Business School. I have not formally taken their classes. Um, they have a class called Concepts and Conception and another one that I think is called Visions and Values. But I, I took a summer camp that introduced some of the principles mm -hmm. and, and one that she uses is experimentation, which she credits Sister Creta Kent, who came up with this set of art rules that is just genius. And the two art rules that I draw on the most are experiment mm -hmm. and don't create and analyze at the same time because they are different processes. Yep. So I feel like seeing Jennifer just say like, no, this can, this thing that you use as an artist, there's no neat line between what is art and what is business. You get to make your own rules. And if you want to experiment within these parameters that involve money, then like do that. It's very freeing. It is, and I love it. It's funny that I was like, that name, I know that name. Uh, yes, I have just pulled Proposals for the Feminine Economy off my bookshelf, um, which is a book that if you are female, fantastic. Uh, get yourself some of this. <laughs> um, but there's this graphic here, perhaps it's not the right place to share it. I'm gonna do it anyway which talks about the values of the feminine economy, which is if, if capitalism is an economy that values masculine traits, what could another economy look like? And the feminine economy would involve uh, integrity, imagine, honesty, care, asking questions, intimacy, embodiment, generosity, ease, collaboration, interdependence, cyclical growth, connecting with nature, like all of these things that are in this framework are very much part of this, like you are working within the it's not within it's like outside the bounds of the masculine economy which is all of that fucking scarcity and mm -hmm. making this other way and i see you doing that um and i just want to congratulate you in doing that in such a way that it's really exciting and it's different and we build basically just failing our asses off into the cycle so that it's not a big deal and it's not something that means that you've arrived at a dead end it's something that means that well now you have data don't you <laughs> 
Yes, and I'm I'm staring at my feminine economy chart right now above my desk, and um, I'm so glad that you read all of that aloud. Yes, and part of that is recognizing that the work is not you, and I mean, I think something that needs to be said is that we all come to making a business for different reasons, and they're all valid. And I think it's really important to start with, well, why am I doing this in the first place? And what does satisfaction look like for me? And that's a big part of step two of the centering. And what's been really helpful is the longer I've done this, the more it feels like a separate entity and my ego feels at peace with being out of it where I kind of think to myself, life is long, this work, I want this work to be born and it might not be what I do in five years, but I want other people to have access to it. If they benefit from it, fantastic. And there is something really magical about letting go of a grasp around what you want something to be. There is, say more about that. Well, I mean, that is a part of, of listening. All, all of these steps are very interconnected. It's starting to decipher, is this, it is a spiritual approach to business. It is asking, is this in my best interest? Um, does this serve my highest self or am I creating this out of a place of control and scarcity and um, a desire to have hard power <laughs> versus soft power? Mm -hmm. You know, it's tricky because a lot of my motivation for making this is experiencing the lack of power that an agency that is often given to artists and non-traditional creative people. Mm -hmm. And this model is very much built to serve those people. I, what I see in traditional entrepreneurship is a lot of people don't want to let go of power and ego. It's too scary. It's, um, it's yeah, it's just not their interest and that's fine. And that's a ch choice. But I do question, is your soul really satisfied? Because I feel dead inside when I look at that work. <laughs> I do. And I pause. No, I love you. I'm just going to pause to love you for that. Because you can, it gives off like a, a whiff of like, you're doing this for money. And you're doing it very well for money, by the way. Oh. Um, but it, it doesn't have any aliveness or spirit or juice or overflowing or there's no like you're talking about in many cases you're talking about abundance and I feel like I've never felt more scarce inside in my life than when I read this particular work mm -hmm. um but that separation um from and I don't know if that's a separation from the listening or if that's like if you decide you're going to have a seven-figure business and then you're not allowed to change your mind because you have now you have 14 employees I don't yeah. know if you just get further down the trap of like, well, I have to take care of these 10, 12, 14, 17, 23, 74 people. Yeah. If it's that, and so it doesn't matter what your soul needs. Um, but so at that place where, where 
Let me articulate the question. Cause I have, when people come to me, particularly my overthinkers and I love them, <laughs> there's no body, there's never any body involved, but there's also this, like, I have to choose. I have to get serious. I have to decide what I'm going to do with my life. And, well, yeah. And experiment intentionally is like, well, what if it's all an experiment? What if you do not have to like put a capital letter, something title beside your name and keep it there until you're 95? It's unfortunate all of the decisions that ripple out from what I believe is a lot of developmental and life trauma. And, you know, it's not, it's not my, um, I don't feel super ethically sound in, in speaking about that from any sort of authoritative place. No, I'm just asking you to speak at it as a, as you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank With you. some thoughts. Yeah. We don't need to go um, like, and now thought leader Laura Hallway will compete for the Pulitzer Prize via the genius <laughs> response to an interview question. Well, something that has been really helpful for me because, you know, um, I'm a human and of course I've, I'm great at clinging to things uh, just like the next person. But the beautiful thing about having so much of my life burned down a few years ago. <laughs> um, when my marriage ended and just so many, my, my art practice ended, you really learn how to just notice and name what actually matters. You, you really learn to it's the image I have in my hand is we grasp on so tightly. And sometimes it takes the universe like smacking our hand mm -hmm. until like repeatedly until we're like forced to let go to start to figure out how to feel safe letting go. Yeah. What was your first, when you think about feeling safe letting go, is there a moment in your business that was like, Ooh, and then it turned out okay. I mean, maybe I have the benefit of, of having always been an oddball and therefore not, it's like, for instance, we describe this work and it's definitely not for everyone. And maybe that helps that it's like, it's not trendy. It's not, um, it's not polished. It's, it's real. Yeah. It feels like something that I can live next to and be proud of because at the end of the day, I do question some people's like, are, are you really able to do that? Do you feel like you know, yes, the work is separate, but it's still a reflection of you. Does it feel like something that you feel proud and in integrity putting your name next to? Hmm. And so for the people for whom that deep sense of integrity really matters, this is super helpful. And if you're like, I just need the six steps and for you to shut up and for me to make bank as a result of the six steps, 
they've already gone away by now. That's, they're no longer listening. (laughs) You're not going to want to work with me. It's not not at all. Not at all. Um, And so we come to this final step. Um, I don't know if this is the hardest. These are all hard to be clear. (laughs) This might be the hardest. Um, It certainly has been for me, which is to create support. So please talk to me a little bit about creating support. Yes. Well, first I want to say, although these steps are tricky, simple, but tricky, it has been so satisfying. Like all of this, because all of this is about becoming your own best friend. And there is nothing more satisfying and more rewarding at the end of the day than creating that relationship with yourself. Agree. Creating support is about working in ways that honor your body and spirit and asking for help. And I like to put support in two categories. I've noticed that we need internal support and external support. And I noticed that support is something we can create, not just ask for, but create that we can you know, plant the seeds of support. So internal support, I can learn to work well with my own energy. I can learn to set boundaries. I can learn to respect and honor the promises that I make to myself. Um, I can, you know, honor my own limitations. But then there's this other kind of support that a lot of us struggle with, which is I am going to ask for help. Mm -hmm. I am going to either delegate or I am going to hire help or I am going to, and maybe I should say, and I am going to cultivate a network of people with which I can be honest and human about my struggles. Mm -hmm. I can say, oh my gosh, this thing is happening in my business and I want to share it. And I'm not placing the expectation on myself that I should have it all figured out on my own. And this is really where I would say, this is what led to my crash and burn as an artist. I don't know what seeds were planted within me. Is it cultural? Is it... um, you know, how I was raised, but this belief that it was, I should have it all figured out and talking to people about my struggles, you know, somehow pointed to like a a lack of ability I had, or maybe um, there was some, some of the belief that people would try to change my work or I would be misunderstood. I think sometimes when we think of asking for help, we are overwhelmed by finding the right kind of help. Mm -hmm. For instance, you know, I only hired my first coach, unfortunately, when the pandemic, basically around the time the pandemic hit and I had, I had hired them the year before, but we started work, I think in January of 2020. And I had been wanting that for so long, but I had received 
a lot of, you know, just kind of commentary from other people and my partner that, you know, isn't this something you could just do on your own? Mm. Like, do you really need them or are you using them as an excuse for not like just doing it on your own? Um, but what I really needed so much was for someone was just to be seen. Especially as a person who both in my choreography and in my business makes non-traditional, not easily accepted work. I needed someone to just see me and believe in me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that I needed the answers. Sometimes you just need help sorting through all of the questions and all of the like, what is this? And what is this? And what does that mean? And what's my blind spot? And oh my God, I didn't know that about myself. And look at this over here. That's amazing. And um... yes, absolutely. I, I think the most valuable thing about, you know, working with me, dare I say it, is it's just, it is really hard to notice our own patterns. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier for other people to notice. <laughs> yes. And I mean, so often it is that thing of, oh my gosh, I didn't, I, I didn't realize that I've been doing that or hiding in that way. Or, um, you know, sometimes we think we're trying something like a client will think that they're doing an experiment, but they tried something like twice and they did it for two weeks and kind of dipped their toe in. And it takes another person giving you the permission, like, no, you really just dive in. And I am here to help you buffer some of that discomfort. Mm -hmm. So much of it is that like, I just don't want to do it by myself. Like I'm not afraid of the work, but sometimes if the work blows up in my face, having a coach is a nice person to come back to and be like, it blew up in my face, help. Instead of my partner who would just be like, well, that's, you're crying. Okay. That's not good. Um, but there isn't necessarily any support in terms of like, I can help you in some way. I have been to here. I have been through this. I know people that have been through this, um, that, for me personally, I don't want to project that support um, is is all about feeling like there are places where my questions are not stupid. And there are places where I can be seen as not as a thought leader or an expert, but as just a, a human that's trying to do a thing. And that thing isn't easy to do all the time. Right. And you know, when the inevitable happens, which is that something doesn't go according to plan, that's the only certain thing is that things will not go according to plan. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to get sucked into shame around that. No, oh, there's like a shame tornado that comes. Like, oh, I should know how to do this. Totally. And, you know, no one talks nearly enough about failure and to be able to have someone with you who is like, well, what, what, what data can we gather from this experience? And also this is a hundred percent normal. Mm. No one talks about it, but it's normal. Yeah. There's a lot of normalizing that really helps with 
having a support person of some kind. Just like, yeah, you're normal. This is not, this is not just you. You're not broken. And that's what I see in classes too. You know, as I'm witnessing this beautiful group I'm working with, they are serendipitously very similar in background. And I think they all tend to be very independent people probably who um, don't have a community to share their challenges and struggles with. Mm -hmm. And I can just hear the relief in like, oh my gosh, me too, me too, me too. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just so satisfying to witness. Agree. So the, the secret question here at the end is, which phase is your personal favorite? Like, which one do you kind of like, oh, that's, that's my stuff right there in at this point in 2021. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I just am so relieved to get to experiment. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just so relieved to remember that I can change the rules and I could burn it all down. And I, um, you know, that nothing is, is too sacred. Yeah. That keeps me going. And then the converse of that, do you have any tips for the people listening who have a hell of a lot of trouble with experimenting? It needs to be locked in. We need to know how it's going to go. The end before we begin always like <laughs> um, therapy, <laughs> right? Step one <laughs> therapy. I mean, here's the thing. It's like one of my friends who is a social worker put this so beautifully. She was talking about how one of her jobs with kids is to help them widen their, their discomfort tolerance, their threshold of discomfort. Mm. And I find a great possibility as I think of what are the things I, I think the aspects of this process that are applicable to anyone regardless of what they're doing in life, because this is applicable to making a life that you like, as well as a business that you like. It is. And life is uncomfortable. And if we can start to get curious about our attachment and our need for control and um, some of the thoughts about ourselves that go hand in hand with our desire for control, there is enormous, there is enormous possibility you know, that has been like the greatest gift of my life as a person who has experienced a lot of uncomfortable life events is, is learning to let myself feel the difficult feelings, but remember that it doesn't last forever. And it's, it's, there's, there are other feelings on, on the other side. And just because something is uncomfortable it's not synonymous with it being bad. You know, it's like childbirth. Mm -hmm. Childbirth is uncomfortable, but you get a baby. And that is probably the skill I wish I could impart to my clients the most. That is like something we all have to learn at our own pace. Mm -hmm. But how can you get comfort comfortable with the discomfort? Because that is not going away. Ugh. But I wish it would. <laughs> I agree. 
yeah, like at some level, you're helping people get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And when it's the most uncomfortable, then um, they get to reach out and feel like, oh, okay, okay, I'm going to survive this. I'm going to survive this. Yeah. yeah. That's gorgeous. So now, Laura, people have fallen in love with you. It's inevitable during this conversation. Where do we go to love you, give you money, hear more from you, work with you, generally just shower goodness upon you? No, we're so kind. Uh, my website, laurahallway.com, where I do have a tip jar scholarship fund that has been one of the more exciting things that has happened in my, my work because it helps me figure out how to both pay my bills and make the work accessible to lots of different people. I love it. Mm -hmm. And there you can sign up for my newsletter. You could also go to laurahallway.com slash subscribe. And I, I write a lot about life and these practices and less about business, but it's all very applicable to business. Of course. Yeah. All right, cool. Is there anything else that we should know about you, your work, anything that's going on, anything you'd like to clarify, anything that you didn't get to say, please do say it now. You know, I was thinking this morning about something that has really brought so much depth to my listening practice. And that is a practice called Don't You Feel It Too that I just wanna give a shout out to. Uh, Don't You Feel It Too is a, a public art practice. It is the, the practice of dancing your inner life in public space. Mm -hmm. And they happened to be a client of mine for three years. And the beauty of that was that I started improvising, listening to music that I love on headphones and dancing a lot without it being, you know, about choreography. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you are curious, if anyone is curious about dancing and bringing that into your life as part of getting, you know, it's kind of like breath work where you are able to receive valuable information about your business and life and just experience wonderful healing. Um, you can learn more about that at, at dyfit.org. Awesome. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. Oh, of course. You're so very welcome. It's so good to hear from you. And I can't wait to, uh, to hear what everyone else has to say about the magical, wonderful world of Laura. So um, thank you for being so just honest and refreshing and true. It's, it's a delight to have talked to you and um, we're going to, we're going to wrap up the episode there, but thank you. And uh, as for everyone listening, we will see you very soon. Thank you for listening. One more time. The Antidote is a series of monthly gatherings to help you come back to your body, your being and your breath when it's most likely that you'll self-abandon. The antidote is the antidote to trying to do everything all alone, all by yourself, while you grow more stressed and you're generally freaking out and telling everyone you're fine while quietly or not so quietly 
scream-sobbing in a private place between tasks. Let's not do that. Let's try something different. This is a really simple format. One gathering a month on the first Tuesday of the month until the 2024 election. So we're practicing the skills that we will need in November now. And we're getting really comfortable with body, breath, and being now. And that's available to you at jointheantidote.com. There's a free recording. You can sign up. You can get more details. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy.